Welcome to the Album Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Andy, Don, and Dude. Hello, everyone. It's the Album Nerds Podcast. Wow. Hey, I'm Dude. I got Andy and Don with me. Oh, my gosh. Did you hear that? Neil Young just ran through the studio, man. Did you see <laughs> I him? know. The godfather of grunge himself, the Sultan of Swat. Now, that's another guy. So, <laughs> Babe Ruth. <laughs> yes, it is. I watched Sandlot recently. Here we are, the album nerds. As I said, I'm Dude. Got Andy and Don with me. How you fellas doing? Doing pretty well, eh? I'm sorry. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, how about you, Don? Uh, just been uh, craving some Reese peanut butter cups. Did you guys know that? There's no apostrophe S in Canadian Reese's peanut butter cups. I did no. not. Why? I don't know. Hoser says what? <laughs> <laughs> no one fell for it. All right. Let's get to business. We're the Album Nerds, and this is the Album Nerds podcast. We love music. We love talking about albums, and apparently we like hanging out with each other. So today, we're going to be talking about three albums, answering a question. We'll then reflect on what we learned, and then spin the wheel of musical destiny at the end of the show to find out what kind of albums we'll talk about next time. But this week, it's all about Canada. That's what I'm talking about! Yeah, well, you guys might not know this, but Canada is a country in North America that borders the United <laughs> States. It's the world's second largest country by area. The list of Canadians who have made significant contributions to popular music is long. It includes acts like Paul Anka, The Band, Joni Mitchell, Steppenwolf, Gordon Lightfoot, The Guess Who, Leonard Cohen, Anne Murray, Brian Adams, Rush, Celine Dion, Tragically Hip, Michael Bublé, and Drake. Wow. Today, each of us will present an album from a Canadian artist. A message from the government of Canada. Hola. Isn't that Canadian? <laughs> Rock side of the border, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... I think sometimes you don't even know an artist is Canadian because we share so much cultural DNA with, with our friends up north. Um, but, you know, there are those bands, and, and I kind of went in a lot of obvious directions and with things that I that I already like when I was exploring this past week. Bachman-Turner Overdrive, Rush, I listened to a bunch of their albums, uh, Moving Pictures was the closest. But I figure maybe we'll get to them when we get into a prog rock week or something. Mm -hmm. um, and in that context, it might be more interesting discussion. But of course, I have favorite artists from Saskatchewan. One Bad Son is like a hard rock band. The Sheepdogs are a southern rock band. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, there you go. The Guess Who, the Tragically Hip, who we've talked about before, Anne Murray in the country space, Joni Mitchell Blue, and of course, a bunch of Gordon Lightfoot again. So yeah, I, you know, there's a lot of great music and artists that I think people don't may not even know are Canadian. So how'd you guys do? Yeah, there's just a plethora of Canadian high quality music. Um, yeah, lots of rush for me. I listened to The Weeknd's discography. Just she's really developed a lot as an artist from when he started out. Cowboy Junkies, I kind of forgot they were from Canada. They have some good early records. A country group by the name of Blue Rodeo. Really cool record in the mid-90s called Five Days in July. Uh, I was impressed by that. And something I never thought I would hear, there's a like 60s sounding rock group from the 70s <laughs> who sound like they're from the UK called Teenage Head. And they put out a self-titled record in 1979 that is pretty delightful and unlike anything I would ever thought would come out of Canada. <laughs> So that was pretty cool. 
How about you, Don? You know, had I not already, you know, done them uh, in recent history, you know, I would have maybe done Arcade Fire. Uh, you know, we covered that album, I, last year. We just did the band uh, songs from Big Pink. Uh, you know, that's, you know, probably one of the great Canadian albums uh, of all time. I almost went with, with Leonard Cohen, the, the songs of Leonard Cohen, which was his, his debut. Back when we did the, the Judy Collins album, I really was kind of ready to, to do Leonard Cohen. Um, but uh, again, I, I went in a, a different direction. You know, there's one I thought about too late to really explore. Uh, 347 Eastern Standard Time, EST, the debut album from Klaatu. You guys ever hear about this from 1976? No. It was rumored at the time, because it had some Beatlesque psychedelia, to be a hidden Beatles album that they made after breaking up and changed their name. And it's a Canadian band. Oh, really? Called Klaatu. So uh, <laughs> maybe we'll find occasion to get into that sometime. It's a very interesting record. I haven't listened to it in a while, but just figure I, I should throw that one out. Andy reminded me when he said that something sounded uh, like it was from the UK. And I was <laughs> like, oh, the Beatles one, the Beatles one. So, uh, but that'd be a fun story to dig <laughs> into. But not today. So why don't we talk about what we're talking about? You choo choo choose me? Damn. What to say about this next band? They're our neighbors to the north. They're from Canada. It's broken social scene. All right, get things started off here with some indie rock from Toronto, Canada. We're talking about Broken Social Scene and their 2002 record, You Forgot It in People. Let's play a little bit of Stars and Suns. Did you know that they have like you know they have a big band? Five of the members are clappists, and they handled the <laughs> clapping on that track. Professional <laughs> clappers! Wow, that's how they do it up in Canada. All right, so this is the second studio album for the ever-expanding rock group from Toronto, as I mentioned. Uh, at the time of recording this record, they were at about ten members or so. Credited up to 15 on this record specifically. Um, they Good started out God. as just a duo, Kevin Drew and Drennan Canning. Uh, the first record is like a very like ambient instrumental record. Uh, pretty chill in comparison to this record, which is also chill, but in a different way. You Forgot It in People won Alternative Album of the Year at the Juno Awards in 2003. Uh, yeah, my three words to describe this record are dress in layers. Obviously, when you get 10 people together, they make a lot of different sounds, and they're all kind of mishmashed or layered together on this record. I would describe it as a fairly eclectic sound. At times, it's kind of like mumbly. At other times, it's kind of anthemic, and there's a lot of space in between. I, was, I found this record pretty pretty interesting when it came out, and coming back to it, I was surprised how much it stuck with me. I think my biggest criticism of You Forgotten People is just the general production style is like super thin. It doesn't really sound like a big group to me. It, it sounds almost like it was recorded in someone's bedroom, even though it'd be a very crowded bedroom. Yeah, it would be. I kind of like that it sounds like a small band. It's hard to describe, but I kind of like how it feels like a, a group of five, but it's like, how the hell would five people do this? You know? <laughs> right. Yeah. I think there's like moments where it feels very intimate. Especially the topics they discuss are a little more intimate than you might expect with a big group. And that's, 
think part of that is just finding the Canadian music itself. For me, it always feels a little more intimate than American music. I don't know if it's just going to be they're colder and have to huddle closer together, so they're a little bit more <laughs> up on the microphone. All right, let me play another cut from the record. This is a little bit of Pacific theme. Surprise, surprise. Robert Smith (laughs) makes an appearance on (laughs) the Broken Social Scene record. Yeah, that that little clip there could be uh, like from 50 different albums I own (laughs) from various artists. A little guitar riff, yeah. Yeah, I'm just a a sucker for for that kind of sound. Yeah, so that song, uh, Pacific Theme, is is, uh, an instrumental, which, uh, you know, as you heard there, just kind of has a lot of those those post-punk sounds and, of course, that that melodic bass that I like. Um, But they throw in... And some you know some horns you know to to give it kind of a, a different feel which which I appreciate. The three words I, I chose to describe the album are ambient rock ambivalence. <laughs> I, I actually I went back and, and listened to their their first album, which was more like an ambient sort of. Uh, uh, approach uh, and then in, in this album it, it was kind of more of a traditional rock sound but I I think you, they are sort of blending those those two approaches together you know that's really that's a space in, in music that I like a lot you know the, the rock that I like is often you know very ambient or atmospheric and dreamy uh, and they do a, a really good job with that there's sort of uh, that early 2000s where you had bands like The National and Interpol you know that were kind of working in that space as well so it was actually you know a pretty good time for uh for this sound and i I guess you you guys hinted at it before it is so eclectic and it's kind of seemingly unfocused but somehow it does sort of play as as one record and um that's a pretty good accomplishment i think because you have different voices on there but somehow there's something tying the the whole record together uh, which i think is impressive well it's also the during my research, I mean, there is a following of of this band, like people who just like find life's meaning from their records. And whenever a band is able to do that, regardless of what scale they are in terms of popularity, how many fans, it's still pretty awesome when a group of artists is able to capture hearts and minds so much. Yeah, that's one thing I think we're kind of like sheltered from just how like popular some of these artists are in Canada. Like you think about like Tragically Hip or something like that, like kind of popular in the US, huge rock stars in Canada, you know? And similar with these guys, like you may have heard them on college radio, but very big name up in Toronto. I mean, it's not that far away, but there's there's a big cultural divide with, with some of these artists, unfortunately. All right, why don't we play another cut from the record? This is a little bit of Cause Equals Time. So Cause Equals Time, I really dug that track. It did remind me a ton of Jay Maskus, Dinosaur Jr., you know, that that lo-fi sound, the way that they're using the vocals, the harmonies, um, just really had that same kind of effect on me. And, and that's one of the things that sucked me in to this record. Uh, the song was written by members of Broken Social Scene, Kevin and Brandon, uh, 
largely indie rock, post-rock, chamber pop, good energy in the song. The guitar riffs are cool. Many of their songs touch on the themes of love, complexities of relationships, um, but those harmonies really do, and the layered instrumentals really do kind of set the scene of what they do best. It's supposedly a play on words, the title, juxtaposing the concept of causality with the passage of time. See, that's why they have a cult following, because they're all thinky, you know what I mean? <laughs> These equations and stuff, yeah. So the three words I use to describe this album are broken music scene. Mm. I feel like the the scene at the time was breaking down. Uh, you know, this was the tail end of like new metal and the tail end of really alt rock and and rock being the king of of the jungle in terms of popularity. And so they were able to take these 15 people <laughs> and while being informed by the sounds before them of Dinosaur Jr., U2, like in that spit song, there's definitely a very Zuropa-ish vibe, mm. from what it's called. Yeah, lover's spit. Right. And that, that echoey guitar sound, that janglier, kind of like the edge, you know, um, but then, then the swelling instrumentals and, and all of that, uh, the, the no choruses, apparently that was not on purpose. It's just the way the songs came together, but it's really just bridges and verses. There are not choruses in these songs. And, uh, so I think they took a, a broken music scene and found a way to kind of cobble together the pieces and make something pretty, pretty awesome. That's a good way to put it, man. I know. I mean, thank you. <laughs> I actually thought about this a little bit. I appreciate that. <laughs> That's what I do. <laughs> All right. Well, that was a uh, broken social scene. You forgot it. And people, they are still together, uh, ever expanding, probably up to about 30 people now up in uh, Toronto. <laughs> Um, but yeah, they're still active. The entire, uh, the entire, <laughs> entire um, city is now just broken social scene. Yeah. <laughs> no, but they're still putting out music, still doing their thing. So yeah, definitely check them out. If you're not familiar, uh, You Forgot It in People is available on all the usual streaming platforms. I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. If you're enjoying the show, and we hope you are, do us a solid and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Maybe we made you laugh or you discovered an album you enjoy. Leaving a review keeps the show going and helps other music fans find out about us. It's your boy, Neil. I'll pack it in by a pickup. <laughs> I think the whole time we should all talk like this. <laughs> His speaking voice isn't really as nasally as no. no. He's got a pretty that... voice. Yeah. <laughs> so my pick for an artist from Canada is Mr. Neil Young. I actually think he has one of those like Canadian night ships. I don't know if they're called SIRs or whatever, or COs or something. Uh, so this is uh, Neil Young's uh, 1972 album, Harvest. And here's the, the big number one hit from that album, Heart of Gold. I've been a miner for a heart of gold. It's these expressions I never give. Heart of Gold features backing vocals from Linda Ronstadt. And oh boy! Oh my gosh! <laughs> and James Taylor. Floyd list here. <laughs> I, I think I think Linda needs to take out some kind of protective order, man. <laughs> 
think you are obsessed. Uh, so a Heart of Gold is is one of uh, several more uh, acoustic tracks uh, on the album. And of course, that, that song and a, a couple others uh, feature harmonica from Neil. This track, along with, uh, I believe, the title track uh, and uh, A Man Needs a Maid, are supposedly inspired by his love for the actress Carrie Snodgrass. Uh, the, the three words I, I chose to describe Harvest are uh, from Hank to Hendrix. So um, many years later, he kind of did like a sequel to this album called Harvest Moon, and there's a song on it called From Hank to Hendrix. But I, you know, I chose those words just because, um, you know, I, I think Neil comes from both of those places. So, you know, this album is kind of part Hank Williams, but there's also, you know, a, maybe a little bit of, you know, that rock inside, you know, the, the Hendrix side later in the album. Uh, so this is the, the fourth studio album by Neil Percival Young, born uh, in Toronto, Ontario in 1945. Uh, certainly one of his um, more accessible works. If you go through his catalog, there's a lot of weird stuff in there. Some loud, some <laughs> yeah. quiet, some electronic stuff. It gets mm-hmm. weird. Even after this album, I think the success of it drove him into a little bit of a, okay, I'm going to be a freaking weirdo yeah. to sort of... <laughs> Try and get people to keep their distance. You know, in the in the 80s, he was actually sued by Geffen Records for making records that were not Neil Young-ish or something. Oh, really? but, yeah. Well, there was that album Trans, I yeah. think it was called. Yeah, that's the one. Uh, anyway, well, let's, uh, let's hear another one. Uh, this is a song called Alabama. So Alabama is pretty obviously uh, inspired by the state of Alabama here in the U.S. of A., the lower 48. It was really the racial tensions, political climate in the southern United States in the late 60s, early 70s. And Young had on his previous album, after the gold rush, had the song Southern Man. And uh, between Southern Man and Alabama, that's that's the inspiration for uh, for Leonard Skinner's Sweet Home Alabama. And it's both of those songs. And we talked about the Leonard Skinner album a, a while back and talked about this little controversy with them calling out his name. Uh, you know, his intentions were good. I mean, he was con- you know, saying, hey, Alabama, you- you've got the entire country behind you. Just do the right thing. But uh, in his book, Waging Heavy Peace, he later, uh, Neil Young acknowledged that he deserved the reaction from Leonard Skinner and said that uh, he doesn't like the words he used when he hears it back, that they're accusatory and condescending and not fully thought out and easy to misconstrue. And and I really uh, love that he wishes he could he had done better, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, I appreciate that. But I mean, I like the sound of the song. It's got sort of post-hair band grunge period, why sometimes he's called the godfather of grunge. Yeah. You can hear that, that crunchy guitar oh. in there. I, I love... Yeah, so Neil had the the backing band, a country backing band that uh, he called the Stray Gators, and basically it's a country rock record. But you hear banjo, 
you hear slide you know it, it does have nashville tones to it but he the songs that are harder rocking tracks blend somehow seamlessly it, it somehow all fits together uh he manages to draw all these songs together where you have these harder rocking tracks but still i think what was smart about it is the song itself is about southern stuff right so it all does uh piece together and a lot of this album is about loneliness and and uh relationships and wanting to be alone but not wanting to be alone the three words i use to describe this album are songs of gold and i think i kind of already uh shot my shot on that by my previous <laughs> statements but i mean these are some of his best songs he was at the peak of of his neil youngness that made the brand of who he is as a solo artist and uh it's a great record I mean, you, you got songs, uh, you know, it's, it's tough because we want to talk about all of them here. Um, but you got super impactful songs like Old Man, which is a story about him buying this, this ranch in California and the old man that's the caretaker, the needle and the damage done recorded live at a college concert. So there's just like incredible songs. And I love Neil Young, the weird stuff. The classic stuff, it's all good to me. Yeah, well, let's uh, let's hear another one. Here's A Man Needs a Maid. She was playing a part that I could understand. Yeah, I was particularly struck by that track, listening back to this record this time through... It's a London Symphony Orchestra there accompanying Mr. Young. Nothing says country like the London Symphony Orchestra. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That is true. Right? It's kind of a weird combination of things, but I, I think it works fairly well. There's a couple records on here that have the orchestra, or a couple tracks on here. Yeah, my three words to describe this record are Thanksgiving at Neil's. I had the big harvest, get all the food together. Come on over for a big meal. Do they do Thanksgiving in Canada? Uh, all right, don't get caught up in the details, though. All right. <laughs> well, they do. They have yes, they do. They have their they own do. Thanksgiving. Do they? Yeah, it's something else. It's, uh, they just call it Thanksgiving, by the way. Sorry. Do they celebrate <laughs> at the same time? No, it's in October. Uh, this feels like a big cornucopia of different styles of, of Neil's career to this point of Harvest. Ah. Uh-huh. I get well, it now. That's it. <laughs> yeah, that that's that horn thing that looks like a, a giant bugle cracker, and the, there's fruit and stuff. <laughs> it might be a centerpiece <laughs> at a Thanksgiving dinner. Yes, I get it. Yes, both Thanksgivings. <laughs> yes, both countries use cornucopias. Yeah. All right. Yeah. As diverse as this record is, I think each of these styles and each each song really does sound fully realized and kind of to me almost feels like its own little mini album at times like going through each track it has such a big arc to each song and i feel like it's kind of doing this together almost listening to this album especially like every man needs a maid just such a strange message he was probably right i guess and on one hand it feels kind of like a sexist thing to say like you know is your wife essentially just a, a maid or are you just a, a big baby you can't clean up after yourself my interpretation was that he wants none of the complication of a relationship and but doesn't want to be alone so if there was someone around <laughs> right it's in between yeah no i think you're right i think that's what i got out of it eventually too it was like he just doesn't want to deal with the heartbreak anymore but he acknowledges he has some shortcomings on his own yeah i mean how bad could it have been he was 25 or something at this <laughs> time 26 <laughs> know, when the album right? came out it's like dude come on <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, any record that's just 
as diverse as this record, I think, you know, maybe can suffer from just some unevenness in terms of the, the pacing and the flow of it. And I think this record, for me at least, does kind of feel a little bit up and down and it's hard to tell when it's beginning and ending. But still, the strength of, of all the individual songs, I think, is is so high that kind of smooths things over. Yeah, I mean, let's talk about his voice for a moment. It's definitely unique. I think it's maybe even at some of its most fragile in terms of, or most nasally on this record at times. I think that's the weakest aspect of his oh, career, Andy, personally. I don't know what you got. You guys are you like his voice. Oh my God, you're one of those guys. Do you sing along in that in that fashion, or do you just you sing in a normal voice? Right. I mean, it depends. <laughs> I mean, I try to because I love it. <laughs> you love it. Well, that's what makes him him. It carries emotion in a way that I don't think he could if he if he wasn't letting it go there, letting it crack, letting it soar and sputter. Yeah. You know, that's what's great yeah. about it. Yeah, it feels very authentic. It's gutsy. Yeah, gutsy, totally. I wouldn't say he has a traditionally good singing voice by any means. No, no he's no Bob Dylan. <laughs> <laughs> right. Perfect example. Sometimes it doesn't matter as long as he has something good to say. All right. Well, I tend to know that something is Ainhoff worthy. Um, you know, when I find myself wishing we could cover more of the songs. Yeah. And because, you know, we didn't talk about Harvest. We didn't talk about Out for the Weekend. So I'm going to nominate Neil Young Harvest for the Album Nerds Hall of Fame. All right. What do you guys think? I'm in, eh? Totally. It's a, I mean, there's a chunk of his albums that could in my opinion, go album nerds hall of fame. And, uh, this one is the top of the mountain for me. It's his, it, I think it's his best. It's his most complete. It's diverse with all those strings and stuff. It's like, what is this doing here? But it works. So absolutely. Yeah. There's actually a, I feel like every list I saw of the greatest Canadian albums of all time, this was number one or, or number two. Hmm. Probably behind rush. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm on board with this one too. I'm uh, glad you nominated it because I think, I think we would have had to if you didn't. So, okay, congratulations to Mr. Neil Young with your 1972 album, Harvest. Excuse me, I'd like to ask you a few questions. Okay, time for our highest rated moment on the show. <laughs> the algorithm loves it, man. This is when people turn up their, their speakers. <laughs> right, so we're going to ask ourselves a question about our neighbors to the north. Why do you most often visit Canada? Um, for me, I feel like we usually go over for entertainment. You know, they get a lot of uh, bigger acts up in Toronto, and it's, for me, at least it's closer than New York City. So, uh, typically for that, I used to go over a lot, you know, growing up, because, uh, you could drink there at a younger age. Plus, their their uh, dollar and two dollars are coins. So the loonies and toonies always were just nice to have a couple of those rattling in your pocket. You know, the loonies, yes, and uh, yeah, yeah, the exchange rate, good for shopping, I guess some would say. And uh, there was a time when the beer was stronger too. I don't think that's true uh, anymore. Oh yeah, the Canadian triple X, the Molson Canadian triple X. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. Triple X, yeah. So yeah, I mean everything's a little just a little different in Canada in a very similar but just a, the small differences. So for me, you know, Canada is known for many things. Uh, one of the biggest things it's known for is uh, fake girlfriends. When have you ever gotten laid? I've laid lots of times. Name one. <laughs> she lives in Canada. Met her in Niagara Falls. That was 
<laughs> that was something in high school that was pretty common because where I was living at the time wasn't too far from Canada. And you'd hear that one every once in a while. And that's a classic. She lives in Canada. The old fake girlfriends. Very nice. Yeah. One trip I made to Canada with some friends in college was specifically to hunt down five pin bowling. You guys Ooh. familiar? Is that the one with like the little balls and the little pins? Yeah. Okay. It's like candles. It's called candlestick bowling, I think, yeah. too. So the pins are on strings and it's these small, they're like bigger than bocce balls and there's no holes in them. And I think you get to throw three times. So we, we went over the border. We asked around and people were super polite and helpful. And uh, there was some mall with a bowling alley in the basement, I think in Toronto. And a dude led us, you know, got in his car and led us to it. Uh, which wow. is really nice of him. So <laughs> right. we we did That's some five pin bowling and got treated like royalty up there in Canada. Wow. Um, yeah, as Andy said, I, I you know it's usually for for entertainment. You know, so a lot of the the artists that I like, you know, do not come to these medium size cities uh, around where I, I live. Um, so often I have to to make the the trek to to Toronto. Yeah, one thing I, I just remembered, um, I haven't done this, but, you know, my, my dad used to work for this, this, you know, really rich guy. And so one time when my dad had a business trip in Canada, he ended up having to, to smuggle in for his boss some Cuban cigars because they don't, uh, they don't have the, you know, the trade embargo with, with Cuba. So, uh, yeah, you go for the, the Cuban cigars and then you gotta, you gotta sneak them under the seat or something. Probably can't get away with that these days. <laughs> Yeah, they're brutal at the border, man. Coming back into the U.S. is... Oof. All right. So, why do you go to Canada? Uh, hit us up on the, the socials. Check out our Discord, albumnerds.com slash Discord. Come on, hey, you loser. I had to save you some, but I had to see everyone's life, eh? <laughs> Gotta go watch Strange Brew, y'all. All right. So, my pick is very Canadian. Loves... The prairies of Canada loves his country, sings about it a lot, which is part of what drew me to this particular album of his. We're talking about Culture Wall. The album is Songs of the Plains from 2018. Let's start off with the opening track, Plain to See Plainsmen. Junkies and saints on my travels I grieve. Far too few homesick young plainsmen like me. Jeez. <laughs> they just like lives in your chest when when he's singing. Um, <laughs> the guy's not even 30 years old. I know. I know. He's like late 20s. Yeah. It's, it's pretty he's amazing. He's an anomaly. Yeah. <laughs> so, Coulter Wall, born in 1995, raised in Swift Current, Saskatchewan. And country singer-songwriter. I love the country music scene up in Canada. It is very rootsy. And I think people don't think about it too much. Like uh, Hank Snow and Wilf Carter, who was uh, known as Montana Slim down here in America. In the, I believe he was in the 50s and 60s. But a lot of these artists have uh, been inspirations not only culture wall but to roots country music here in america as well his the, one of the interesting things about Coulter is not only his baritone voice and all the, the awesome storytelling and love and loss that he that really resonates in his songs and with his audiences his father was like the premiere of of saskatchewan for years politician like a governor i think right of a province yes yeah. 
Exactly. And uh, so he's from a small town of, I think, something like 15,000 people. But I think his father's love for country and for the plains and for where they live, which is adjacent to Montana, it's above Montana. I think that is part of what has informed his love of of his home. You know, it, it's it's pretty cool. When I first read that his dad was like some politician, I'm like, so how come he's so cowboyish? And I'm like, okay, we're talking about politician <laughs> in a very rural area. You know? <laughs> right, right. Everybody's a cowboy. Um, the three words I used to describe this album are sitting by the fire. His love of the Canadian prairies and his home is so poignantly expressed here, but it feels like a night after a day of herding cattle and you're sitting by the fire and he's noodling at the guitar and singing songs about about the land that you work and love, you know, really resonates. So not surprisingly, that song was featured on Yellowstone, mm -hmm. which their culture down there is very similar. Their love of the land, wanting to preserve their lifestyle and the way that that they've done things for decades. You're on a roll with these Yellowstone artists. No kidding. I know. Well, you, you know, I, I watched the show and then I was like, hey, Coulter Wall's oh. on. I can, you know, I, I was more into the show because I'm like, okay, they know what they're doing. <laughs> the music that they're playing. All right. So why don't we uh, listen to another song? This one is Wild Dogs. And it was the first blood that we tasted together. We were wild dogs. Mm. Wild dogs. Oh, that, that guy's. <laughs> that is some heavy shit. That little slide guitar there, or, whatever, or pedal steel, or whatever, is awesome. Yeah. It actually sounds like a wild dog. <laughs> yeah, works well on that track. Yeah, I find this record to be very haunting. My three words described are echoes of the past. Yeah, it feels almost like these are ghosts kind of called back to life by Mr. Wall here to tell their stories of, you know, growing up on the, the Canadian uh, frontier. Uh, and that, and also, also their individual stories, but this also ties back to just kind of like we talked about a couple shows ago, how country, you know, is very tied to its roots and its history. And you can hear a lot of, of Johnny Cash and, and Wylan Jennings on this record, for sure. I think my biggest criticism would be it's, it's so sparse. It's so minimal. Oh, yes. There's hardly there's hardly any embellishments or flourishes at all happening anywhere. I'm sure that's completely intentional. But if you look back at like some of those Johnny Cash records, like he has many sides to his sound and personality. I'd be curious what Mr. Walls might sound like if he did a more traditional country well, song. Maybe you know? in his thirties he'll get curious. <laughs> yeah, I'll expand out. I mean, this album is is produced by Dave Cobb, who did a good job with Chris Stapleton as well, but definitely plays to the strengths and yes they could have added a bunch of sounds but some of the things they did add were touches of like hearing a popping crackling fire in the background during some of the songs and and things like that to bring you into this moment where all you need is the voice and the words to be like moved especially if you're listening on head headphones and you're just sitting there and you're doing nothing else but paying attention and this album his his second full length i didn't when i got it i I wasn't as thrilled with it as the first one because the first one had some more raggedy kind of sounds to it. But Coulter's voice is getting better. He said that being out on the road, he's learning to sing. And it's still that baritone, but it's cleaner than it was before. It sounds less forced and 
on this album, it really starts to come to life. So Yeah, now his voice is something to behold. It doesn't really sound like he's imitating anyone necessarily, but you can definitely hear some similarities. But the way he pronounces things and the way they just kind of like drip out of his throat in a way, it feels like it's just kind of sliding out of him. Yeah. yeah. It's cool. It's cool. All right, why don't we check out a little bit of tying knots in the devil's tail? Know it's that devil bellering around about them knots in his tail. You'll know it's that devil bellering around about them knots in his tail. So Tying Knots in the Devil's Tale uh, is actually a, a song that goes back uh, at least 100 years. It was actually written by uh, somebody known as a, a cowboy poet, uh, Gail Gardner. Uh, and the song also features vocals by a, a Corb Lund and a Blake Berglund. But um, most of the, the songs on the album are wall uh, originals. Uh, but yeah, but this one, um, it, it kind of stood out to me, maybe just because it had a little more uh, tempo to it. Uh, but it also has that sort of um, you know the Johnny Cash kind of train sound, the clickety, you know, um, the, the the kind of like skiffle. Yeah, yeah, yep. it's got that shuffly sound to it. Uh, so the, the three words I, I chose to describe this album are uh, actually similar to what Andy said. I, I said ghost of uh, ghost of outlaws past. So you know, again, you know, it's it's uh, Johnny Cash and Waylon Jennings and, and Willie Nelson all um, you know brought into uh, into modern times. You know, the more I think about it, um, you know, it really does remind me, um, you know, as you guys were talking about the sort of the production of it and the sparseness of it, um, a couple of those uh, American recordings that Cash did with with Rick Rubin, you know, have a mm-hmm. similar sort of haunting feel because of the the space uh, and the sparseness of it. It's really cool that you have artists like this, you know, still sort of, you know, carrying on the the legacy, you know, of of some of these these country roots. You know, a couple of weeks ago we did the the Billy Strings that is, you know, still celebrating uh, bluegrass, and and here you have um, Wall doing these, uh, you know, sort of uh, outlaw sounds. I mean, I'm always a bit torn with with stuff that you know, is just about the past. And I'm always, you know, asking myself, you know, how do we, how do we move forward from here? Is any new ground being broken? I don't know. I, for some reason, I don't really think that way with this, this record. I, I guess maybe there's just enough compelling songwriting and storytelling going on that, you know, it just, it just is what it is. And it's, uh, you know, it's, I guess good songs are, are good songs, you know, whether they're, you know, breaking ground or, or, you know, rehashing the, the past. You're right that this doesn't sound put on. It doesn't sound like someone being right. a classic something act. It's just what comes out. But yeah, I mean, the Wild Bill Hickok, uh, the trains are gone, Manitoba man, those all are, have, you know, shades of the past in them. But, uh, yeah, I just love this dude. He's got a new album coming out. I've already got it pre-ordered, but yeah, I have his records on vinyl, and and that adds to the to the experience for me. Where especially since the album covers do look a little old timey, it adds to the uh, growing legend that is Coulter Wall. I was really surprised. He's on Spotify, where it shows the number of streams per song. He's got like tens of millions of streams on each of these tracks, and he's doing doing pretty well for himself. I, I thought he was kind of under the radar. Maybe the Yellowstone exposure or something. Or oh, that could be. Don, were, had you listened to Culture Wall at all? Had you heard of him? Heard him? Is this brand new? Never. Yeah, this is new. Thank you. Cool. Go dig in. All of you should. So that was once again, Mr. Culture Wall with Songs of the Plains. Go check it out. 
All right, so we we took a trip up north and and explored the uh, the various uh, terrain. What did we learn? Uh, I mean, for me, let's just listen to like this large swath of Canadian artists. This is totally stereotyping, but their music is like super chill, man. Along with just the people up there are super chill as well. I don't know if it's just the weather or what, but like very subdued in Canada. Very, very calm, very contemplative. I like that, but in comparison to like US music, it sounds very distinct in my my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I I think there was more to sample than I expected. Yeah. I was surprised like what... Andy was just saying it, how there's just a slight different flavor, even when it's the song American Woman or, you know, hard rock stuff from Canada. There's still something just a little different in the in the delivery or the sound or I don't know what it is, but it, it is distinctive. And I, I like that, especially being so close, you wouldn't expect to be able to hear it. But there is something different in the way that the art is being delivered. And I can't put my finger on it, but I, I really love that. I, I love being able to listen to something similar and accessible, but also makes me pay a little bit more attention. I had a similar experience when we did Australia. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. It's still, you know, it wasn't the same as English music, although it was very, very close. But there's something about it that, that you know, made it unique from a, a American and English music. We did neglect to do like a French Canadian act. Hmm. I don't know who the candidates would have been, like Celine Dion. Oh, God. Yeah. I forgot about her. Sorry. Sorry, not sorry. (laughs) And that's one to grow on. I'm your density. Alright, boys and girls, gather around for everyone's favorite part of the program. Well, it's up there with the questions, I guess. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Neck and neck in terms of popularity here, but let's bring out our favorite AI friend to find out what our musical destiny has in store next week. Wad boot. (laughs) Music can be a wondrous thing, especially those special songs that are never forgotten. Next week, you will be searching for albums crafted by those who are considered one-hit Oneeders. I mean, wonders. Enjoy! The Oneeders. We're going to be talking about one-hit wonders. (laughs) (laughs) One-hit wonders. Wow. One-hit wonders. So they had one popular song. So we have to find an album that has enough quality to it that we can discuss as a, as a whole. It should be interesting. Wow. All right. Who's your favorite one-hit wonder? What other music do you like from Canada? What are you listening to? Let us know. Join fellow Album Nerds on Discord at albumnerds.com slash Discord. You can email us at podcast at albumnerds.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Album Nerds. Please subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so via PayPal at albumnerds.com slash support. Thank you once again for joining us here on the Album Nerds podcast. It's all about our love of music. And we'll catch you next time when we talk about some one-hit wonders. And Andy talks about Tub Thumping by Chumbawamba. Oh, that's a good one. (laughs) (laughs) I get knocked down. Hey, he's saying. See you guys next week. I get knocked down, but I get up again. (laughs) Please. God.